Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Happy New Year. Hey, happy New Year. Happy 2021. Wow. All right, shut up already. Shut up. <laughs> the celebration is still going. Yeah, they're still good. They're, they're wild here. They're just out of their minds. They can't stop with this stuff. Uh, the farewell party to 2020. Couldn't uh, wait to see it go. <laughs> it was a real train wreck that year, wasn't it? <laughs> it really was. But now we have a brand new year. So what could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. Don't say that. Quiet. Well, one thing we know that will continue in 2021 is MASH Matters. Hello, my name is Ryan Patrick, alongside my friend Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ryan Patrick. And again, Happy New Year to you and yours and everybody that they know. Happy New Year to you, too. Did you make any New Year's resolutions? Uh, Yes. My resolution was to get out of 2020 as quickly as humanly possible. (laughs) And I I think I've done a pretty good job of it, actually, right now. You've nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, past that, I don't have any. I never do that because I know I'm never going to keep them. So, what's the point? Well, see, that's why you should never make a resolution that you couldn't keep. You should make resolutions like, you know what? I'm going to eat more carbs. I'm going to watch a lot more cat videos on YouTube. You know, those are the resolutions you can actually keep. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm going to have to think about that. You, you make a good point there, <laughs> especially the cat videos. I'm going to go back and make a resolution about the cat videos. All right. And the carbs. So uh, we are kicking off a new year with a new episode and a lot more listener questions and uh, voicemails. Keep them coming. You can always email us your questions through our website, mashmatters.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can call and leave a voicemail at 513-436-4077. Before we jump into some new listener questions and comments, we have a couple of messages that came in addressing our last episode or a couple of episodes ago. This one coming in from Tammy Eastburn. She says, Hi, Jeff and Ryan. I just finished listening to the latest podcast episode and was compelled to finally contact you. First, thank you for doing the podcast as MASH has been an important part of my life for decades. I watched as a child with my parents and my dad actually served in the U.S. Navy and fought in the Korean War. While I enjoyed the show immensely, a great part of my enjoyment came from my dad telling me everything that was wrong with every episode. Things that had not been invented at the time, medical advancements that came later than the show, and now every time I watch, I still hear his voice saying, that's not how it really was. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to convince him it was just a TV show was of no use, but it was still his favorite show. He's been gone for seven years now, but I treasure the times we shared watching MASH. What prompted this email, however, was the mocking of yarn. I get it. Muggles don't understand the world of fiber arts. I appreciate Ryan researching the New Zealand wool shortage to add some perspective, but I wanted to let you know that there's a large world of fiber artists and some, like me, listen to your podcast and also love MASH. Knitters, crocheters, weavers, spinners, we take string and make things. Some of us take wool and spin yarn, and there are many indie dyers who make magic with color. There are thousands of blogs, Facebook groups, and websites, and pre-pandemic fiber fairs and retreats around the world. It's likely that in the early 70s, the yarn used in the show was red heart acrylic, the stuff those granny square Afghans were made from by grandmas and great aunts. 
Fiber artists today come in all ages, shapes, sizes, and genders. You'd be surprised. And while acrylic yarn still has its place today, it is much nicer than the 70s version. Local yarn shops, yes, that's a thing, carry a variety of natural fiber wool from various breeds of sheep. Alpaca, yak, cashmere, plant-based fibers such as cotton and bamboo, and man-made fibers like acrylic and nylon. Now, to bring it back to mash, knitters today step up to knit socks, balaclavas, scarves, and other items for men and women in the armed services. The Red Cross Knit Your Bit was a huge movement during World War II. You can read more about it here, and Tammy includes an article. We will put that article in our show notes for this episode. But she goes on and says, thanks for doing the podcast. I especially enjoy the interviews with the cast. I'm only sorry that you didn't do it sooner so that we could have heard from cast members we've lost. I would have loved to have heard a discussion with Wayne Rogers or David Ogden Stiers. Tammy, me too. Yeah, we all would. Yeah. Wow. You know, that was really amazing what you just read. And I, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I I tried to follow along as best I could. The one thing I got was the balaclavas. Yeah. I find those always are a little too sweet for me, but I know a lot of people like them. I, I think you're thinking of baklava. Oh, I see. Well, I had one of those, but I had some ointment and it went away. But the balaclavas... <laughs> I, I just had I remember summers when we would vacation with the Bellaclavas. They were so nice. <laughs> what a family. We'd all pile into their station wagon and yeah, I, we had no intention of mocking yarn. No. No. I'm sorry if that's how it came off. It's just that yes, you are dealing with two guys who have to my knowledge Jeff have never knitted anything in their lives and so I don't know a lot about yarn and I was just going on what I knew which admittedly is nothing. <laughs> And I, I stopped mocking yarn in the eighth grade. I would not do it because people said, you're bullying and you cannot do that. And so I stopped <laughs> mocking yarn immediately. I'm a very sensitive boy. Yeah. Well, that was very interesting, though. I, I had no idea all that was going on. So to everybody who knits and crochets and weaves and spins, we salute you. Thank you. So from Tristan in Australia. Well, hi, Tristan. Again. Again. Tristan is back. It's a three-person podcast now. <laughs> Hi, Jeff and Ryan. Thanks for reading my email on this episode, though it did have me a little miffed. As Ryan rightly said, the question on what poker hand Igor held had been asked before. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was by me when you read the same email on an earlier episode. See, we're now back into time travel. Mm -hmm. So it always confuses me. Not to worry, this time around, we got a story from Jeff on koalas, though I should point out that koalas are not a bear. Mm -hmm. So you don't make the mistake again. Here's a catchy tune. Yeah, let me play a little snippet of it here. Okay, yeah, it's very cute. I'm a koala, not a bear, and I don't think it's fair the way that people always add a word that isn't there. I'm a marsupial and proud of it. And there can be no doubt of it, I'm closer to a kangaroo than I am to a bear. So please don't call me a koala bear, cause I'm not a bear at all. Please don't call me a koala bear, it's driving me up a wall. Yeah. 
That's very cute. That's really sweet. That's a song by Don Spencer. We'll put the link to the entire song in our show notes. And Don, you're not getting a check under any circumstances. So uh, no, don't expect one. Not at all. Uh, you know, I would like to say one thing. Uh, Tristan has written this and uh, pointed out my mistake. And I'd like to I'd like to say something very serious, if I may. I'd like to take this opportunity to express my sincere apologies if I in any way offended or hurt the feelings of the koala population, bears of any kind, and or any and all of the citizens of Australia. I meant no harm. I spoke with a lack of understanding, and I hope that Tristan and all our friends down under will forgive my ignorance. I spent two wonderful weeks in Australia. I fell in love with the country and a few of the people I met in some bars late night in Sydney. It's my hope, with reflection and forgiveness, we can all get through this and move on. But I'd also like to point out that Australia does have some nasty, venomous bugs. Mm -hmm. One is called the koala spider. Not a bear, but a spider. Koala spider. Terrifying bug. Very cute, but they have very sharp fangs and are stoned on prawns. So that's something that everybody needs to be aware of if and when they go to Australia. Be careful of the koala spiders. There's also a poisonous Sydney funnel web, which is also a spider. It's very aggressive and angry due to its ridiculous name. It just is very hostile from that. Then there's the red-backed spider. Uh-huh. This thing hides in garden sheds, mailboxes, and under toilet seats. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Surprise. Of the two, the red-backed spider is the stupidest. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I really have to say about Qualgate. All right. So let's see. So far, we've ticked off everybody who works with yarn and pretty much all of Australia <laughs> in the first 10 minutes of this episode. Uh, let's see who else we can tick off with some more listener comments and questions here. Uh, we want to say hello to Thomas Fiery. Thomas reached out to us and said, hey, Ryan and Jeff, my name is Thomas Fiery. I'm a longtime MASH fan from when I was in middle school and it was in its first run. And as a listener to your podcast, I am a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, a libertarian leaning public policy think tank based in Washington, D.C. Just a side note here, Jeff, I'm pretty sure that Thomas may be our smartest listener. Yeah. He says, I recently finished writing a 6,000-word paper on classical liberal themes in MASH, how the show promotes civil liberties, the freedom to exchange, skepticism about the state and war, and the value of the individual. The article has been published by the classical liberal organization Liberty Fund. And now... Jeff Maxwell will read all 6,000 words, and I'm going to go get a sandwich. I'll see you later. 6,000 words. You got this. All right. Enjoy it. (laughs) Writing 6,000 words. I haven't written 6,000 words since fourth grade. How do you do that? Good grief. It is impressive, Thomas. Wow. It is really a very well thought out, well researched, and well written article. We are not going to obviously read all 6,000 words here, but we will put a link to his article, Life, Liberty, and MASH by Thomas Fiery, in the show notes at mashmatters.com. And then just go to this episode. This is episode 53. Click on the link, and you will find not only the koala song and the story about knitting in World War II, but you'll also find a link to Thomas's well written article about classic liberal themes in MASH. You know, I was going to go to a think tank. Were you? But I thought about it and decided not to go. Okay. (laughs) We'll be issuing the apology to think tankers in the next episode. (laughs) And from Ken Williamson, Ken says, in 1986, 
It was a very good year. No, he didn't really say it. In 1986, I attended a high school close-up government trip from Michigan, spending a week in Washington, D.C. As early as I can remember, I've been a big fan of MASH, so I was ecstatic to see in the hotel room's book of things to do that the Smithsonian had an exhibit highlighting the show. I couldn't cry in front of my school roommates. They'd have beat me up and, you know, made fun of me. But I was deeply saddened to know that I missed it by just a week or so. What can we do as a fan base and lovers of MASH to influence the Smithsonian to return the exhibit for some anniversary of the show? Could you possibly interview a curator from the exhibit, either Smithsonian or the person from Box that made it happen? Would love to return to Washington, D.C. for that purpose. Love the show. Bye-bye and bye, Bonds. Cool. So this was an exhibit that the Smithsonian Institution, the uh, the Museum for American History, and that was right after the show wrapped. They had this big exhibit, Binding Up the Wounds, and it ran from, uh, gosh, I think right after the show wrapped. I forget the exact dates it ran. It was there for 18 months, though, at the Smithsonian. They had the swamp and they had, you know, the OR and all kinds of props. They had the signpost. Everything was on display. Ever since then, it's been in storage. And I know that because we received another email from a longtime listener, our friend Bren. This is really a great story. I love this. And it ties into Ken's question here. She says, hello again, Jeff and Ryan. I just finished listening to your most recent episode in which you discussed the Smithsonian Institution's acquisition of the MASH set following the conclusion of filming. And I have a story. As I mentioned in my voicemail last year, my twin sister and I came to love MASH around the time when we both went off to college. We're 23 now and still love the show with all our hearts. During my last year of college, I worked as an intern at the Smithsonian American Art Museum, known as SAM or SAM. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But she says, in this position, I learned about the Smithsonian acquisition and immediately set about trying to see the props. Unfortunately, while SAM is wonderful about pulling off-view artwork from the archives for general public, the National Museum of American History is not. The MASH exhibition has not been on display since the 80s, and the props have been long tucked away in storage. The museum is loath to take them out. As I quickly learned, even as an intern at another Smithsonian, the museum would not allow me to go into their storage center and view the props. (laughs) Undeterred, I came up with a clever way in. At the time, I was beginning work on an undergraduate thesis. I told my professor that my thesis was going to be about the material culture of MASH. It wasn't. And that I needed to see props in person. I did. She knew someone who knew someone at the museum, and a few weeks later, I was in. I took my twin along because I figured it was easier to ask forgiveness than permission, and because she would kill me if I didn't. We spent a wonderful afternoon back in 2018 looking at MASH props together. Two accommodating but very perplexed curators showed us around and filled us in about the details of the acquisition. I don't think anyone has ever breached their storage defenses before, and when it became clear that my twin and I were fans, not researchers, I think they caught on to the ploy. They were super nice nonetheless. I think it helped that I'm trained in artifact and object handling, though, so I would not recommend anyone else try this method. I'm attaching photos of the props for you to share with MASH Matters listeners if you'd like. I'd also add a quick interesting tidbit. Fox wouldn't agree to the acquisition unless the Smithsonian took everything. Really. My sister and I saw everything from toilet paper rolls from the swamp to hundreds of martini glasses, not to mention some of Klinger's dresses, a few of Hawkeye's shirts, and tons of original prints from filming. They really do have 
everything right down to the set lights. The curators told us it's actually quite a burden on the institution as they are contractually forbidden from ever deaccessionizing any of the material that they got from Fox. I hope that this was interesting to you both. It certainly was for me to behold Hawkeye's robe in person, to hold his Groucho joke glasses. Heck, even just getting to see Margaret's Dickie was a thrill. It was an experience I'll never forget, and I'm glad to share it with you both and other MASH fans. And she sent us a link to a Google Drive with all of the images. That also is going to be in the show notes for this episode, and we will include a few of those photos on Twitter and on Facebook as well. And she says, P.S., Jeff, aren't you glad you didn't give them your photos? I sure am. Yeah, I think I am glad. Yeah, that when I was there, I had taken a lot of photos out at the Fox Ranch of everybody. And the Smithsonian folks were there and they saw the proof sheet of all those photos. And uh, four or five of them surrounded me and said, we like those photos, okay? Can you give us those negatives and the prints and everything? Uh I said, well, uh, what do you want to do with them? Well, we'd like to keep in the exhibit. We're going to take all this stuff that's on the stage here. We're going to take it to Smithsonian. We'd like to take your stuff too. Is that all right, buddy? Uh, I don't know. I mean, can I get it back? No, you can't get it back. It's done. That's it. That's it. It goes with us, period. And you say goodbye. (laughs) So it was that condition that I said, nah, I'd love the photos to be on display, but I'd like to get them back and own them. Sure. And I couldn't do that. So I, I passed. I mean, it was certain at the time it was very complimentary that the Smithsonian wanted my pictures. And so I considered it very heavily. I mean, that's a very neat thing to have happen in your life and your history. Yeah. Because I couldn't get them back every, and I, I had to give them the negatives. That's when I went, nah, I don't think so. Well, it sounds like they have plenty of photos there in the exhibit. And how cool is that for Bryn and her sister to be able to go and see that? Yeah. Yeah, that's like digging around in your garage, you know, and finding a bunch of really cool stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, this stuff hasn't been seen since the exhibition back in, you know, whatever, 1984 or whenever it closed. I mean, that's quite a coup. So, Bryn, I am thankful to you for sending us your pictures. We are going to share them with everyone. And I am also very jealous of you and your twin, Madeline, for getting to see these things in person. You know, something in way in the back of my mind, which... No one should ever go to at all. But I kind of remember there was a tour of maybe it was a few things from the Smithsonian or it was just MASH. For some reason, I remember the swamp being on tour. Hmm. That is, if it ever shows up and you can ever go and, you know, rather than having to go, you know, coerce or bribe people to let you in, (laughs) if you ever get the opportunity to do it, it is really fun because a, a real true MASH fan will really, truly enjoy it. Oh, yeah. If you've never seen the show, it's going to be, oh, yeah, what's this old stuff? But if you have seen the show uh, 14,000 times, like every fan has, it's really fun to see it. You'll go, oh, wow, there's this and there's that. So I I highly recommend it. If it comes to your neighborhood, give them the 10 bucks and go see it. And you know, Ken brought up a good idea of maybe they could bring these pieces out again and exhibit them for an anniversary of the show. Well, next year, Jeff, is the 50th anniversary of the first episode. Wow. Yeah. Bingo, bango, bongo. That's it. That's it, right? I mean, is there any better time to do it? So I appeal to our friends at the Smithsonian Institution. I say that knowing that I don't think I have any friends at the Smithsonian Institution. But if anybody is listening who works at the Smithsonian or uh, has close ties with somebody from the Smithsonian, please urge them to bring these things out of storage and put them on display for 
for the 50th anniversary. Or if it doesn't work with the Smithsonian, just, just ask any institution in your neighborhood. <laughs> Go to any institution you can find and beg them to let you see the set of mesh, and they'll show you the inside of the institution, probably. <laughs> All right, let's move on to a voicemail from Nick. Hey, my name is Nick Tabor. I've been a long-time MASH fan all my life since I was really, really young. Quick story on that. I'm from Fall River, Massachusetts, and um, I was watching all these shows and all these bizarre shows in the 90s, and I was 12 years old, 11, 12, and my dad had the day off from work, and he says, I'm going to show you something that's funny. And we sat and watched a match marathon. I can't remember where it was, but he's laughing. I start laughing and, you know, flash forward about 25 years later after watching every episode from start to finish over 25 times. It's become great, and I've always been. It was one of the first things I really bonded with over over with, you know, for my dad. And uh, we've been around very close since then. My question is for Jeff. If you could go back and um, play Igor again, what do you think Igor would cook, and who would you want Igor to cook for? Anybody, any celebrities, any visiting people into a, into a mess tent, any what, – what, what would you do? Thanks, guys. Uh, really, really caught up with your show recently, and – it's really fun. It's great. Great interviews. Everything's awesome. Take care. Boy, what would, uh, <laughs> I could go back and cook again. Wow. <laughs> what would I cook and who would I cook for? Uh, you know, I, here's what, I, because I personally am a major barbecue fan. Mm -hmm. I love to barbecue stuff and smoke stuff, whether it wants to be or not. Uh, I do it anyway. <laughs> And so I would probably focus on trying to barbecue, go back and do ribs. I'd have ribs, mm. you know, I do ribs every, uh, every episode because uh, that would be, you know, a favorite of mine. Who would I cook it for? I would probably find more girls uh, that liked me, that liked Igor, and cook for them and try and woo them with my smoky ribs. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what I think Igor would do. Okay. All right. Just don't forget the coleslaw. Oh, I absolutely no. No, I, I love the coleslaw. I think the girls would like the coleslaw, too. <laughs> what girls don't like coleslaw? I mean, really. See, now we're going to get letters. Women Against Coleslaw. It's a movement, I'm sure, out there that we're not aware of, and we'll be issuing that apology again in the next episode. Probably some knitters out there knitting coleslaw oh, already. Oh, see. No, what do you All right, all right, stop. Sit down. Sit down, Jeff. You know, they're probably Australian, too. <laughs> they're coming for me. Those Australian knitters <laughs> that don't like coleslaw. All right, so moving right along. And from Brad Jacobs. Brad says, Dear Ryan and Jeff, when MASH came on the air in 1972, I was just barely a year old, so I got into the series later. But here is the kicker. I hated MASH when I was younger. <laughs> Thanks for writing, Brad. Okay, next. <laughs> hmm. Now, he goes on. I don't know why. It may have been because I did not understand it. My cousin was watching it when I was a teenager, and I got hooked. And I've been a MASH fan ever since. In fact, it is on my personal list of my top five favorite TV shows. 
Jeff, your character of Igor, although a minor character to the show, is a funny and essential part of the MASH cast. Oh, well, that's very nice. Thank you for saying that. Love the one-liners, and as Igor pops up here and there throughout the series. It wouldn't be MASH without him, as well as the other characters in the series as well. All the characters bring a well-rounded and unique energy to MASH. I do have a question. Who voiced the announcer over the intercom when the choppers and the jeeps would come in with the wounded? We as viewers never got to see his face throughout the entire series. Love the podcast. You guys are great and keep up the great work. Brad Jacobs from Roy, Utah. Hey, Brad, thank you from Roy, Utah. That was very nice. Thank you very much. And I'm certainly glad MASH finally turned into one of your five favorite TV shows. And, you know, I kind of agree with you. We're going to get to this um, question in a second, but I kind of agree with you about, quote, the minor characters, all those characters. I think MASH wouldn't have been MASH without all those people showing up interspersed throughout, you know, quote, the main cast. Yes. It just broadened the whole show and gave you a much broader perspective of what you were watching. And it wasn't just a few people there. It was a lot of people and a lot of people that had various points of view and things to say. So I agree with you. I think without them, the show would not have been nearly as good. I agree. I also can relate to what he said about when he was younger, he hated MASH. Ah. Well, when I was really, really young and my mom would watch the show, I didn't want to watch it. It wasn't a cartoon. Nobody was farting and falling down. That's what I wanted to watch. Uh, It wasn't until I got a little bit older as the show progressed in its original run to where I really started enjoying it the last couple of seasons when it was on the air and cried my eyes out when the finale took place. But early on, you know, when I was very, very young, it would come on TV and I'd be like, oh, really? I want to watch something good. (laughs) So, yeah, I can totally relate to Brad in that regard. To answer your question, Brad, the voice of the announcer over the PA, two actors did most of the announcements. Todd Sussman, he appeared as the PA announcer in 43 episodes from 73 to 79. And then Sal Viscuso was in all the episodes after that. Todd Sussman and Sal Viscuso also appeared on screen in several episodes. Todd Sussman was Danny Baker, who was the private in need of plastic surgery in Operation Noselift. And then Sal Viscuso, he appeared three different episodes of MASH, Dear Sigmund, Post-Op, and TN Empathy. By the way, there was a comedy show on Adult Swim called Children's Hospital, and it was just absurdist humor. It it was set in a children's hospital, and there is a character voiced by the actor Michael Sarah from Arrested Development. His only job is to do announcements over the hospital PA. Attention staff, this is not a real hospital. It's barely a real TV show. And in the credits of every episode, his character name is listed as Sal Viscuso. <laughs> that's funny. Isn't that great? Oh, that's pretty cool. Just yeah. a little tip of the hat to mash there. <laughs> yeah, cool. Now, there were, I think, at least one other voice, and I'm not sure who it was in the very early, early, early episodes, like the first few episodes of, of season one. There is another voice, and it, I don't think it's either Todd Sussman or Sal Viscuso. I'm not sure who it is. Attention, attention. The following personnel are assigned to the 4077 Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. The question I have is, where is the PA announcer? Where does the PA announcer work? He's never in Radar's office. That's a million dollar question. You're right. 
who, what the heck? How, yeah, who is this guy? Where is he sitting? Yeah. And how does he know all this stuff? How does he know it before radar? That makes no sense to me. You have uncovered an enormous hole in 11 years worth of a, an iconic television show. This is serious stuff right now. We got to call somebody. Maybe, <laughs> okay. maybe we call Bert. All right, get Bert on the phone. Bert, realize what you people have done? For goodness <laughs> sakes. <laughs> You know, at one point, I thought uh, Bert actually did one of the uh, uh, announcements. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. I think he took no credit. Nobody paid him. I think he did it, though. It's sort of a fun thing. Mm. That is a rumor, and we'll check that out. There is one episode, too, where there is a broadcast of the Bob Hope Christmas show that's being broadcast over, I guess, Armed Forces Radio that's played over the speaker in the OR, and the announcer is High Averback ah. because he actually did did work with Bob Hope as an announcer, mm -hmm. and he says his name. From Seoul in South Korea, it's been the Bob Hope Show with Marilyn Maxwell, Jerry Colonna, Les Brown, and his band of renown, and yours truly, Hi Hi was a great guy, directed a lot of episodes, really nice person. We got along really well. He allowed me to be an idiot, so anybody who did that, <laughs> I, I really respect it. All right, moving on. Harry Glessner says, I just discovered your podcast. I have crossed paths with actor Tom Atkins. He played Major Weems in a MASH episode. His one-time roommate was Cleavon Little. Even though he lives in the area near me where I work, the odds of us crossing paths is greatly reduced because of the pandemic. I don't know if you're set up for phone interviews, but I think it would be worth the effort. Well, thank you, Harry. And uh, the next time you see Mr. Atkins, please tell him hello from us here at MASH Matters. And I will tell you what I'm going to tell anybody who has any connection with anybody who was ever a part of the show. Feel free to pass along our information, our contact information, and have them get in touch with us. Even, you know, if, if it was somebody who made a guest appearance on one episode of MASH, we'd love to talk to them. The challenge is that we don't have connections with everybody who ever appeared on the show. You know, we, we have some connections. We've brought you a lot of great interviews. And we, by the way, have some really cool interviews coming up soon. But yeah, if you are listening and you appeared on the show, or if you know somebody who appeared on the show, please let them know about mashmatters.com. They can contact us through the website. We'd love to set up an interview with anybody who was connected with the show. Great announcement there. Yeah. Anybody, give us a call because we, we want to talk to you. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, and from Mr. Kevin Wizardo. Gents, Kevin says. Wanted to let you know I've been enjoying the podcast. I stumbled upon it earlier this summer as I was looking for something I could listen to in my car with my 73-year-old mother when I moved her from Myrtle Beach to Memphis. I've been a MASH fan since I was a kid. I guess it was because my parents watched it in first run and syndication. I was five when the show ended. The night of the movie, I recall setting up the VCR to record it and being very upset when my parents made me go to bed in the middle of it. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> As a kid, I had the MASH action figures, still do. My mother made me curtains from MASH-themed fabric, and I was so obsessed with a camouflage shirt and shorts I had one summer, my mom has to wash them every night so I could wear them again the next day. <laughs> I work in TV news, so the interview and our finest hour stand out as great episodes. I once interviewed for a job in Toledo. The news director was checking me into my hotel when I saw a brochure in the lobby for Tony Paco's. This is a real place? 
He asked if I wanted to go there for lunch the next day and was surprised how excited I was to go. <laughs> we even passed the Jamie Farr statue on the way. Had I taken the job, my goal was to be well known enough in town to have a signed hot dog bun on the wall. Alas, I took a different job. You asked about kids named after characters. My son, Benjamin, is named in honor of three people. A beloved family member, my favorite historical figure, Benjamin Franklin, and my favorite fictional character, Benjamin Franklin Pierce. Interestingly, my father's parents were Frank and Marion, which we learned in Dear Dad 3 is Major Burns' full name. For many years, I've been a proud owner of a copy of Secrets of the MASH Mess and Alan and Arlene Alda's wonderful photo book, The Final Days of MASH, which is a must-see for any true fan. Finally, a question for Jeff. I am re-watching season two and notice something in Divided We Stand. There is a high, wide shot of the camp, and at the top of the frame, a vehicle is driving down the road, but it's not a green Jeep, ambulance, or supply truck. In fact, it looks like a white van. I've attached a couple of photos. So, Jeff, could that be one of the vans that brought the cast and crew to the set, accidentally caught on camera? Thanks again for your work. Well, that's that was that was a fun story, and thank you, Kevin, for sharing all that stuff with us. Well, I take a look at that photo. Are we going to put that somewhere up on the uh, yeah. old? We're yeah. going to share that on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll also have it in the show notes at mashmatters.com. Well, I I, uh, I examined it very carefully, and uh, absolutely, Kevin, that is the van that used to bring everybody onto the set. How about that? How about that? I could not, my mouth dropped open when I see this white van on that road, because that's the road it came in on, and- <laughs> There were three of those kinds. Actually, there were two two of those vans, and they brought everybody into the set. It was about a mile and a half or two miles in from the parking area at the Fox Ranch, and we rocked, we drove down that road many times, and those vans brought everybody in. So, yep, what a goof. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> thank you, Kevin. For I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this particular episode, and I've never noticed that. Never noticed that. And then all of a sudden, there it is. Plain as day. It is a white, it's like one of those big white 15-seat passenger vans. Yeah. Thank you for noticing that, Kevin, because, yeah, I'm the same way. My jaw hit the floor when I saw it, because like, it's right. It's yeah. I can't not see it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It stands out like a big white 15-passenger thumb. I can't believe <laughs> that I've never seen that before. So thank you, Kevin, for noticing that and connecting it to the story that Jeff shared so many episodes ago. Yeah, great, great eye. No wonder you're in the news business, for gosh <laughs> sake. <laughs> My question is, are you still wearing the camouflage shirt and shorts? <laughs> Although I am kind of envious about the MASH-themed curtains that your mom sewed for you. That That's pretty cool. Ooh. All right, let's move on to another voicemail, this one coming to us again from David. Hi, Ryan and Jeff. This is David Ozell in New York City, and I really want to thank you both for the podcast. Many fans are discovering MASH as a new program because it's possible to watch the show without a laugh track. Thank God. Um, It is, in many ways, a very different viewing experience, not being told if and when I should think something is funny. I've been surprised by how that feature elevates the entire experience of watching MASH. That said, I've also been delighted by the natural sounds I hear coming from the performers, quiet laughs, sighs, and other subtle expressions that were covered over by the laugh track. When the scripts were being written, rehearsed, and performed, 
Will all of you accounting for the laughs so that some of the more important moments would not be buried in all that artificial noise? Thank you both for doing the podcast, and uh, I hope all of you are well and uh, want you all to stay safe. Thank you so much. So this is the question I've actually wondered myself. Do you have to hold for where the laugh track was going to be? Because obviously you're not doing it in front of a studio audience, but you still have to have places for the laugh track. So as actors, are you holding for the laughs or is that in the editing? How does that work? At no time was I ever asked or reminded to worry about the laugh track. Hmm. And at no time in my nine years with the show did I ever hear any of the other actors talk about having to deal with the laugh track. And at no time did I ever hear any of the writers ever talk about the laugh track. So I could probably say fairly confidently that there was never any concern about holding anything or worrying about where the laughs were going to go. They were writing the best material they could with the best words they could under the best circumstances in terms of the presentation of those characters and having those characters behave in ways that were not only serious but funny that we could look at and watch that had nothing to do with a laugh track. So from my perspective anyway, um, there was never any concern about a laugh track and the show went on and the show was recorded and whomsoever wanted to figure out where to put the laughs was their problem. (laughs) I remember doing, you know, doing various scenes. And when I, if I would say, uh, somebody brought up creamed weenies, Hawkeye asked me something and I say, what's in there? And I say, soup, cream of weenie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my head, cream of weenie makes me laugh. (laughs) When I say cream of weenie, I can't help but in my brain start to laugh. Yeah. I didn't say it like I was a goofball. I said it very seriously because Igor was giving soup cream of weenie and he was on some level kind of proud of it. But in essence, that is a funny thing that a guy would be telling you and with pride, soup cream of weenie. Yeah. And so we weren't thinking about okay, I'm going to say soup, cream of weenie, and then the next person had to hold for the laugh in order to say something. That was never, ever, ever in anybody's head. So no, nobody ever said it or wrote for it or anything. Now we could have a writer on and he can say, no, Jeff, we always had to worry about that. You're an idiot. (laughs) I I don't think so. And I'm holding for the laugh right now, actually. Okay, hold on. Let me put it here. There you go. Okay, thank you. This brings up another question. Who was responsible for knowing where the laugh track was going to be? Was that the director? Was that the editor? Who had the final say of, okay, this joke is going to get a laugh track, but this one isn't? Because not all of the jokes got laugh tracks. Uh, Yeah, it's a good question. I believe, I'm stepping out on a limb here, but I believe it was some network personnel who did that, who was responsible for that. I don't think anybody in the post-production process of MASH was involved in putting the laughs in. I think that was handled by some network person who came in and maybe sat there and said, put it here, put it here, put it here, put it here. Or maybe they did it after the show was produced and they said, here's the show. Maybe they had the capacity to then add the laughs. I don't know, but it's a good question. Let's, we'll find out. Yeah. But I think it was probably the network who made those judgments. Networks are the worst. Yeah, they were. They paid well, though. Those Australian networks that show (laughs) knitting shows and shows about koalas, they're the worst. It's koalas and the spiders when they get on those koalas. Those poor koalas are covered with those spiders. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jared Luther says, how many takes did Jeff 
get to dance with Tom Hanks' future wife. Lucky break. She appeared significantly shorter than Jeff. Great podcast. Enjoy the nostalgia and stories from the production of the show. Well, thanks, Jared. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed dancing with Tom Hanks' future wife. Uh-huh, yeah. She was a lovely, lovely, lovely woman, still is. And she was so lovely that I was uh, totally smitten. And after we finished it, and the, the takes were, I think we did two takes of that sequence. So I got to dance with her for, you know, a fairly decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. And she was just charming as heck. After it was over, I ran to my little dressing room that I had, and I came back after I got out of the mash garb, and I searched the set for her. <laughs> I, was, I was going to say, hey, you know, uh, we dance pretty well. Why don't we go have a hot butt Sunday or some coffee? <laughs> and I, I, I ran around the set like a hound dog looking for something, and I, it was terrible. But I really thought she was wonderful, and I was going to say, hey, let's get some coffee. But she had gone home. So, and eventually she went home with Tom Hanks. And she went home with Tom Hanks. So had we gone out for coffee, Tom may still be single at this point. Who knows? And you may have appeared in Forrest Gump. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah. So Rita Wilson, she actually appeared in two episodes. That episode was Hey, Look Me Over. That's the famous episode that centers around Nurse Kelly. And then she was also in Blood and Guts, uh, only appeared in two episodes uh, as Nurse Lacey. And that was season 11. Not sure why she didn't appear in more episodes. Maybe someday we can get Rita Wilson to come on the podcast and we can talk to her about her time on MASH. Uh, if anyone out there knows Rita, give Rita a call and say that we, we'd love to have her on. All right. We're going to close out this episode with a message. Uh, and this is kind of a long message, but I really enjoy hearing from younger, newer fans of MASH. This one is coming from Miles. She says, hi, Jeff and Ryan. My name is Miles. I'm a 19-year-old college student from Ohio, 30 minutes from the nearest Tony Pacos. You guys read one of my tweets about Gen Z loving the podcast on an episode not long ago. I wanted to email and express my gratitude for what you guys do. When I first started actually watching MASH several years ago, after watching it with my grandpa as a kid, I became obsessed with it. I loved MASH so much that even when I made my final psychology project in 12th grade about MASH, my teacher was the only one who understood the reference. My latest MASH project that I did this year is a bulletin board. I'm a resident advisor at my university, and we get to make bulletin boards that all the residents, there are over 600 in the building, will see. All three of the bulletin boards I did were about MASH, and I even tried to make name tags that hung on my residents' doors resembling Radar's teddy bear. My favorite bulletin board that I did was the MASH Guide to COVID-19. I sent you some pictures of the bulletin board and of the teddy bear name tags. She made a Henry Blake hat for hers. I'm going to put those photos in the show notes for this episode, episode 53 at mashbatters.com. None of the residents in my hallway had ever watched MASH, and some had vague memories of their parents mentioning it. However, I would tell them about the show and explain how important it is to this day and how it's actually a lot funnier than you would think it would be, and some of them actually started watching it. I got my best friend to start watching it too not long ago. Flashback to three years ago when I had just started watching, I was content to just watch on my own and not really talk about it to anyone. I had convinced myself that there was nobody to talk about MASH except my grandparents. That was until about a half a year ago when quarantine and isolation really began that I was proven so wrong. I made a dedicated Twitter account just for MASH in June of 2020 in the hopes that I would be able to find just even a few people to talk about MASH with and to occupy my multitudes of spare time. I am blown away at the community of MASH lovers, not just on Twitter, but 
on Tumblr and Facebook too. I have met so many incredible friends on Twitter through MASH. I am pen pals with several of the people I've met through MASH Twitter as well, and we frequently watch movies together, we carve pumpkins together this Halloween, and we're doing a secret Santa. I know that these people will be friends for life, and it's because of MASH that we cross paths. Now, what does this have to do with MASH Matters? Well, while MASH is an incredible groundbreaking show, I believe it is the responsibility for all of the MASH lovers out there to let this fact be known. I started watching MASH three years ago because I stumbled upon it on Hulu and went, hey, I used to watch this with my grandpa. And my love for MASH in this past June was revitalized when I saw videos on Twitter. If not for the content creators and avid MASH fans online, I'm not sure I would have gotten back into MASH again. I have seen many younger people on Twitter who have started MASH because of the incredibly active community on Twitter convincing them to do so. I won't ramble on much longer about my MASH story, but I think what you guys do is so important. And if there's any show that's deserving of an insanely active community nearly 50 years after the pilot first aired, it is MASH. I think that the MASH community owes a great deal to you guys for keeping the MASH love going so strong. With great love and appreciation, Miles. Oh, that's so sweet. My goodness. Thank you, Miles. I love your message. I love that you are not only rediscovering the show after being introduced to it by your grandparents, but that you're being a great evangelist for the show and you're out there spreading the word to your generation and introducing them too. That's great. And thank you for doing that. And I love, love, love your bulletin board and your little Henry Blake hat on your teddy bear. It's awesome. We're a couple of lucky guys who get to kind of sit here and do this. and talk about such a wonderful experience in the world and hear everybody else's wonderful experience in the world. So, boy, it's a great way to start uh, 2021, hearing all these wonderful things and feeling grateful and lucky to be able to do it. By golly. And we are so thankful and grateful and lucky to have people who are supporting us on Patreon. We want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon VIPs. Private David Harris. Private Martha Gavigan. Corporal Eric Engler. And Corporal Trina Conrad. Captain George McClellan. Captain Tim Livingston. Captain Nicole Volk. Major Kiranjeet Singh. And Major Robin Peterson. Thank you for becoming VIPs on Patreon. You too can become a VIP. Go to mashmatters.com slash support. Enlist as a Mash Matters VIP for as little as $3 a month and unlock some cool perks, including autograph memorabilia, stickers, and even a Zoom call with me and Jeff. And uh, there are some perks where we actually come over and hang out in your house for about six months, too. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's pricey. Yeah. It's pricey. It's pricey. I mean, you got to, you know, put us up, give us some nice rooms, good food, but you know, you're going to love it. We also love the people who are leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts. We don't read them all on the podcast, but I do want to read this one. Uh, this is from D Chris Two. Although I don't laugh very much listening to these people, my grandpa sure does, and I guess that's enough for me to give five stars. It is tempting, though, to give less than five stars so that I could be mentioned in the podcast as one of the renegades who dared to venture from the pack. Nonetheless, that is not a reason valid enough for me to rate a five-star show anything less than five stars. I think that's good. Is that good? Was that good? 
I think that was good. I, I'm pretty sure that was a good review. Yeah. You can leave your five-star review at Apple Podcasts and keep those questions, comments coming through our website, mashmatters.com. Send us voicemails, emails, tweets, Facebook messages, and we will hopefully read as many as we can here on the podcast. Some cool things coming up in 2021. Stick around. Yeah. Hey, this has been a, a wonderful January 1st, a wonderful introduction to 2021. My gosh, We've covered yarn, koalas, yep. spiders under Australian toilet seats. Right. There's nothing we won't talk about. And and about MASH, too. Thank you for listening. If you are loving the show, please let other people know about the podcast. We really do appreciate you spreading the word about MASH Matters. And until next time, here's looking up your old address. 